to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Toot. Hello, it's Dude here. It's Album Nerds Podcast. I've got Don and Andy with me, my good friends, my compadres. What's happening, gentlemen? Are we ready to talk about albums here on our podcast today? Yes. Hello, good sir. I think, uh, yeah, I think this is the perfect place to talk about albums. I'm not allowed to talk about albums anymore around the house. (laughs) (laughs) It's overwhelming. This is a safe place for all you album nerds out there. (laughs) All right. So what we do here is we talk about albums. I think we made that clear with our clever banter there a couple minutes ago. Uh, This is our forum. We love the album format, that full experience, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes 60 minutes, sometimes more, but the songs all somehow relate to each other and it's just a sweet, fun experience, especially you have those liner notes in front of you. So uh, we're going to be talking about some very special albums today. Unfortunately, our mechanism, our wheel of musical destiny conked out on us last week. So what are we calling it? I think we're calling it the Ainhoff, <laughs> the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, oh, Ainhoff. Ah, the yeah. Ainhoff, yes. Yes. It rolls right <laughs> off the Ainhoff. tongue. <laughs> Ainhoff. thought you had a disease or something, man. <laughs> well, first yeah. things first, I think we should give the folks, because I've been getting inundated with emails and tweets, people just inquiring about the Wheel of Destiny. Is it okay? Is it going to make it? What is the status, dude? How... How are the repairs going? Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic wheel of musical destiny. Our <laughs> wheel will be that wheel. Better than it was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. So you're going to rebuild it like stronger and better, faster? That's right. Stronger, better, faster, wiser. Fitter, smarter, happier, fitter, more productive. Yes. <laughs> All that. Any positive adjective you can come up with, that's what we're doing. All right, cool. I look forward to wheel 2.0. Oh, it's going to be 3.0, brother. Wow. Skipping numbers. Okay. Okay. So each of us is going to, to nominate a, a record for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, a.k.a. The Anoffs. <laughs> the Anoff. <laughs> uh, that sounds like the Adolfs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's, it, just say it clearly. Anhoff. Anoff. Oh, the Hoff. <laughs> Got to emphasize yes. the H. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, okay. Well, we currently only have uh, one member in the Hall of Fame. It's, uh, that's Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions, uh, the, the 1973 album. Uh, and you guys inducted that uh, last year during episode 138. A Hall of Fame record should represent the highest level of music in its genre and time period. Uh, the album should excel as a cohesive whole and exceed 25 minutes in length. It should have old dog status, which means it's it's five years or older. Uh, and to be inducted, it goes in by a majority vote. So that includes the three of us uh, plus you, the the listeners. Uh, so you can you can chime in uh, on Discord and let us know if if these uh, albums are uh, Ainhoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be a good or bad thing. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like a hemorrhoid yeah. cream. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we also have a we, we do have a question uh, of the week, and we'll we'll spin that wheel of musical destiny uh, again. Okay. So here are the the 2022 nominees for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Okay, so um, yes, so first nomination, I have the dignified honor of 
Bhakti in a band we've never talked about in the 154 episodes we've done the show so far. That's surprising. Yeah, I think it's about time to bring up Radiohead and their 1997 album, OK Computer. Uh, this is their third studio record for the English Five Piece, formed in Oxfordshire, England. Uh, let's play the second cut off the album, what you may have heard before, titled Paranoid Android. So this was Radiohead's follow-up to their successful album, The Bends, which came out a few years prior. It was recorded in a remote mansion, the countryside of, of England. And one, one interesting fact I've read about you know, the recording process was that 80% of the album was recorded live, which means like kind of all the members playing together, which I was really surprised. I wouldn't have thought that, considering how rich the production is on this record. Um, it went five times platinum in the UK, two times in the US, and just a few years ago was collected into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry, where they keep track of like significant artwork. So, boys, Radiohead, I have no idea what either of your opinions are on this band. So I'm very curious. Obviously, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the band in general, but I love this record. It was very influential on me. Um, we'll get into some more of that later, but what are, what are your general takes on this group and uh, on this record? Andy, I'll just say that you seem like a Radiohead guy. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? What? I don't know if I should be a little offended by that. No, you just seem like a Radiohead guy. Like you would have been the right age to have had your mind blown by this, you know? <laughs> That's true. I was... I was very susceptible in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I, I've always liked uh, liked Radiohead. They're similar to U2 for me, where they're somebody I've always liked, but you know, again, have maybe kept a at a distance a, a little bit. Um, when this album came out, I was in a period where I was kind of disenchanted by modern music. Once I, when I went to college, I started kind of going into the past and that's when I got into Pink Floyd and the Beatles and classic rock. And there wasn't a, a lot of modern stuff that was exciting me. And, uh, so, you know, Radiohead was kind of a, a breath of fresh air for me. Uh, you know, at the time they were sort of like the nineties incarnation of everything I liked in the eighties. Um, you know, it's cause I mean, they, I mean, they're English for one, which is, you know, I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> that a lot of plus my, in your book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I hear the, the cure and the Smiths, uh, in their music and, uh, and then they've also got some experimental and psychedelic elements, you know, kind of Floydish. So yeah, I mean, they're really, you know, everything I, I like. <laughs> I'm, I'm the kind of guy that. Radiohead fans probably don't care for because my favorite album of theirs is The Bends. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. A little more traditional uh, song structure, yeah. I guess. Yes. And this album is okay. I, I, a point that Don made about you two uh, in one of our previous shows regarding Octung Baby was that the change in sound was a little overinflated at the time because at the time this came out, it was like, oh, they're, they've revolutionized music. They've changed the game. And I listened back to it. And I'm like, eh, that's not that far from the band. They just have, you know, a speak and spell voice on a couple of songs. And, you know, <laughs> they have some electronic elements, but they didn't totally trash what they were doing before. And uh, so I actually like this better now because at the time I'm like, oh, these weird sounds. But then I listened to Kid A. The album that came after this, 
And that just sounds like you, they took every sound there is and flushed it in a toilet yeah. and just let it spin around, you know? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is pretty tame in comparison. So I did enjoy this a lot more, you know, this period of my life than I did at the time. At the time, I was like, who needs to change anything? Pearl Jam is doing everything right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, comparing this to kind of like the grunge scene, and maybe this is kind of a reaction to that, more stripped down, simplified sounds. Absolutely. I think they're also reacting to Oasis and the that that British scene that was going on to not being a part of that, but being their own thing. In my mind, they were lumped into that same thing. Yeah, I think they were. I think this album, I mean, I agree there was a progression between the bands, Okay Computer and Kid A. They all kind of upped the ante as they got a little bit weirder. But I think this record in particular was a shift for them, like how they approach music and also for the industry. I think I think things really did veer more in this direction than kind of like the, the Brit pop sound, I guess we had in the early and mid nineties. Why don't we play a little clip from exit music for a film, which was actually written surprisingly enough for a film. If you guys, you guys remember the film, uh, Romeo and Juliet, it was like this modern Shakespeare movie. In the- yeah. It's Baz Luhrmann with, with, with Leo and Claire Danes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the song was written for that movie and is actually used, I believe in the, the closing credit scene. I like what they did there with the uh, choral voices. Is it band members doing that? Because they definitely put a little treatment on it. It's not your traditional oh, yeah. ch- choral thing. Heavily uh, produced, I guess I would say. Yeah, the whole record just has that very distinct, I guess, haunting, for lack of a better tone to it. There's all those like you said, choral voices and just kind of creepy sounds just on the periphery kind of making things, I, which I love. I just, it's been such, such a dense sounding record. But at times it, it does, there's a little bit of guitar rock still on there. Uh, there's moments where they let loose a little bit more. And what I found an interesting quote from uh, Tom York, the lead vocalist, he said in terms of the sound they were looking for, he referenced uh, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, which is a pretty experimental jazz record from the 70s. He said that he wanted to uh, focus on building something up and watching it fall apart. There's definitely a lot of pieces here. I think the fall apart doesn't happen maybe as much as I would like on this record. There's a few moments where things kind of crescendo. I think for the most part, it just keeps coming along and kind of this disconcerting kind of futuristic vibe going throughout the whole thing. Why don't we play a clip from one of those more like futuristic sounding tracks here? This is a little bit of the speak and say voice that the dude referenced there uh, from Fitter Happier. No bad dreams, no paranoia, careful to all animals, never watching spiders, don't upload all. Oh, I know. I feel like I've heard that that voice a million times since this since this record came out on other lesser artists albums. Yeah, I think I had a like a Windows computer from like around that time period where you could do the voice generated stuff and it, it sounded exactly like that and you'd have it say fart and yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> always always stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> fart on your face. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, now we have technology that goes Andy, Todd, and Tune. Right. So far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what I like most about Radiohead is is the the melancholy and the sort of that <laughs> that, that, that haunting melancholy, uh-huh. but particularly that song um, "Let Down." Just the the feel of it is just uh, I don't know. It, it I'm moved every every time I hear it. 
yeah, it's just a just a powerful song. Uh, and there's a lot of moments uh, on this record that are, that are like that. The no surprises. And yeah, melancholy is kind of your jam. So yeah, <laughs> the UK uh, or I'm sorry, the English bands they do melancholy pretty well over there. Man. Well, you know, a lot of cloudy skies, a lot of rain. <laughs> yeah. So any any critiques from you guys? I mean, the one thing that always comes to mind for me is. Like I was saying earlier, the record has kind of a consistent tone. There aren't a lot of crescendos, and sometimes songs sound a little samey. Like they're definitely in the in this locked into this vein of sound, and they stay tight to it the whole record. Um, I think the beginning is a little bit more, a little more ebb and flow to it, and maybe as things progress, it it evens out a little. Maybe my my biggest like critique, but it's really minor because I think all the songs are such high quality; it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the album, I mean, just like every album from this time period, you know, plays a, a little long, although I, there aren't any songs that I would specifically want to uh, eliminate. Um, but I feel like at the end, like uh, listening to it for the first time, I, I would have thought like no surprises was going to be the final track. And, and then, then the next song, which is what lucky, even that sounds like a, cl- so it's like they have like three closers in a row. Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, so the three words I came up with to describe this record are Days of Future Past. I was thinking about that X-Men film a little bit, but I felt like this album was really, uh, it felt like looking, looking, listening back to it now, it really, it did sound like they were almost out of time or from a different time when they recorded this record. And it makes more sense in hindsight, but at, in 1997, this felt pretty futuristic to me. Yeah. And I also was 17 or something like that. So <laughs> perfect age for this kind of music. Okay, well, we, we will vote, I guess, at the end of the episode and cast our ballots. Uh, you can do the same on uh, the Elden Ring Discord. Um, so once again, OK Computer by Radiohead, up for Hall of Fame consideration. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now for the reason that you sat through that last discussion about Radiohead... It's the part when we ask ourselves a question. All right, here's the question. How do you feel about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Or the Rarhoff, as I call it. (laughs) Rarhoff? The Rarhoff, yes. Um, I'm a big fan. I like it. I've been there a couple times. I think it's important to have. I think no matter the quality of some of the exhibits might be, maybe some of the artists who enter may be a little questionable, but everybody's going to have their opinion. And I think it's great that we have that place to preserve these things, which I think are a big important part of our culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. as a location and a, a place to visit, uh, I think it's great. I've only been there once, but, um, you know, I enjoyed my time there and I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think you need to go to multiple times because there's just so much to see in there that you can't possibly experience it all in, in, in one visit. As far as the, uh, the voting and, you know, who deserves to get in. I mean, I used to have, um, you know, major problems with, with certain acts not being in there. I feel like a, a lot of the, the early nominees were kind of one side of rock and roll, very sort of traditional and, and macho, but it's changed in, in recent years. Like you're starting to, to get the, the punk rock artists in there, um, in the CBGB scene. And of course, you know, I mean, the cure and Depeche Mode are in there now. So I, I really don't, <laughs> so that's okay yeah, I don't really have that. anything to complain about. <laughs> I haven't been there. And I mostly don't care about it. I mean, occasionally I'll watch the ceremonies if a band I like gets inducted and I want to watch their performance. I feel like it's 
like music history hall of fame or something that covers a little bit more of you know because rock and roll comes from the blues and country and so we have country music hall of fames we have rock and roll hall of fame which also has hip-hop artists in it and it's just very confusing as to what it is so i say open it up make it a music hall of fame and tell the whole story you know instead of just it made more sense in the 90s when they did that when rock and roll was still a Forced to be reckoned with, but music has changed a lot. And as we move forward, what are we going to do with these bands? Who's rock and roll now? I mean, you know, that that is of note anyway. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's kind of like award shows. I don't pay attention to those either. So I'm just a grump. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just make it all one thing. I like it. Yeah. I agree. That'd be nice. Heal the world. Yeah. Make that change. (laughs) (laughs) How about you answer that question, listeners? Hit us up on the socials at Album Nerds or on the Discord. Okay, it's uh, it's my pleasure to uh, nominate Pink Floyd's "The Dark Side of the Moon" uh, for induction into the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. The album was was released in in March 1973. Uh, why don't we get right into it? Let's uh, let's hear a clip of Time. Okay, so this was Pink Floyd's uh, eighth studio album. I'll get into my three words, uh, and again, I, I, I kind of cheated. Uh, I just said Hall of Fame, because, <laughs> uh, I mean, this really is, this is the standard for me. Like, this is the album that I kind of compare all albums to. It might be my, my favorite album of, of all time. Um, you know, to, to me, it's, it's, it's perfection. Yeah, I mean, again, it's melancholy, right? So, I, uh, I mean, a lot of it is. It's it's British, it's British, British yeah. Yep. Yep. It's check, um, check. okay. It's <laughs> it's progressive and pretentious. I don't think, and some people would dispute this, but it doesn't go overboard. I don't know. They hold back a little bit or something. I don't know. It, it's not the lamb lies down on Broadway. It's uh, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, I'm like, people hate me for this one, too, because I think The Wall took it too far. I like where they are here and uh, wish you were here. I like that, for me, that pocket of creativity and concept and great production and uh, and arrangements and all of that stuff. That's perfect. But, yeah, sometimes it's a little too theatrical for my taste, and this doesn't cross that line. I, I believe Roger Waters said that, you know, these are things that could potentially drive people mad. I mean, I guess the, the themes that, that tie all these songs together are human themes, conflict, greed, time, death, uh, mental illness. Right? So these are all things that, that we worry about. Actually, I think there might be some parallels there with, with OK Computer. I was, yeah, I, was, I was noticing the same thing. I never thought that before, but there's a lot, I think, with that mental illness side of things one argument for being for being in the, the hall of fame is that it was just so hard to to choose clips to to play i mean because i really feel like i could choose <laughs> any song it's like oh i i need great gig in the sky because i want to have the gospel voice i need uh breathe because i want the slide guitar so what i'll actually do is let's play a clip of the probably the least known song on the album uh any color you like which is uh, an instrumental uh, basically serves as an interlude between uh, us and them and then the closing brain damage in the eclipse. So what, what are your uh, experiences with uh, the dark side of the moon? My experience with this is 
I wasn't really, I didn't really care for Pink Floyd in my younger years. It was very too mellow and I had it all connected up with weed smoking and getting high and black lights and stuff. So for me, I was like, eh, not my thing. As the years have gone on and, and I've built a vinyl collection, I do enjoy those albums. And I think I've mentioned before, my one real memory of this album was uh, after seeing Pantera on the Far Beyond Driven tour, where after the show, I mean, it was so aggressive and loud. On the way home, we were listening to Dark Side of the Moon to bring us down from the high, the energy from the rock show. So, yeah, it's a good record. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's an understatement. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to even talk about records like this because they feel so larger than life, I guess. They're just, it's so ingrained into our culture and, I guess, my musical taste. It's, I can't imagine music without Dark Side of the Moon. It just it feels just inherent <laughs> to our music culture. So, yeah, I mean, this seems like an obvious slam dunk Hall of Fame pick to me. <laughs> I hope so. Here's my experience with it. Um, I think I mentioned on the show before, my my father gave me a, a mixtape that he had give, been given to one of his friends that had Dark Side on, on one side and uh, Wish You Were Here on the B side. And I listened to the hell out of that. I think I still have a copy of it, though. It doesn't play very well anymore. Yeah, it was a big part of my college upbringing, I guess I would say. I listened to it a ton. A couple specific things. I mean, you played that section from Any Color You Like, which actually is one of my favorite songs off the off the album because I love Gilmore's guitar, especially in this this period of Floyd. I think it was amongst some of my favorite guitar playing. And he doesn't get a lot of moments to shine on this record because it's so he has to fit it into the mix of the of the sound they're going for. But I think his playing on that track and and obviously money is kind of like the big popular cut from this album. Just he just leans into it so beautifully. He just sounds so in, in control of the guitar. It's it's always really impressive to go back and, and hear his playing on on any of these records. Yeah. Yeah, and a fun fact from uh, about money that everybody knows is that it's in that most of the song is in seven and seven eight time, which is you know uncommon for for pop records. Uh, and then you know during the the solos it, it switches to four four, uh, and then when it comes oh, really? back to the yeah 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 when he starts when Gilmore during the solo that's that's four four time. I I will say that this is a better listen on headphones. Oh yeah, than on oh, speakers because yeah. they really did take advantage of the stereo. Thing, which is just kind of assumed now, but having the two channels and utilizing those so you have sounds coming into different ears and moving back and forth is, is nice. And uh, apparently, even though nobody had a way to play it in those days, they did um, record it in quadraphonic sound. What is that? Is it like four, like surround sound? Yeah, it would be four channels. Yeah, it's, it's so cinematic, man. It kind of makes sense to, to have all that space, I guess, between the sound sources. One thing I'll just maybe think of is Every time I played it for listening to the show, you know, you hit hit play, and then doesn't it takes a couple minutes to really get going? Like it kind of creeps in on you, you know. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, you hear like the screaming and the the chorus comes in. And- oh, the heartbeat and you know the human. I think it's supposed to be the beginning of humanity or something, you know. And the so there's nothing, and then the heartbeat starts. There's nothingness, and then life. It closes on a heartbeat too, right? It's definitely yeah. And actually, I think on the vinyl. I think the run out groove, it, it'll just keep playing a loop of the heartbeat, I, I believe. 
this actually this serves as my test record whenever i get like a new sound system or a new pair of headphones i usually listen to the to the dark side of the moon just for that that sonic experience there's so much to say about this album and and i know we we don't want to talk forever but um a couple of facts to throw in alan parsons is the the engineer on this you know of course he went on to uh to his own uh his own success that's cool did he uh produce much else or was this kind of his yeah, he pr- he did a lot of production in the in the late seventies. Yeah, but in that progressive rock scene, he uh, he produced uh, some some records. I should mention the artwork. Right, I mean it's just such an iconic album cover. Uh, apparently done by a, a group called Hypnosis, which was uh, Strom Torgerson, Aubrey Powell, and George Hardy. Um, they did all the all the Pink Floyd albums. I think most of them, anyway. How do you uh, how do you interpret that prism? Like what is in relation to the album? I guess I've heard some interesting thoughts on it. What do you guys? What do you guys think of it? Or is it just more? It just looks cool. Colors and shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I suppose it kind of relates to the you know like the 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 eclipse. I don't know something like light being bent or, or broken by by. Some, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to sound stupid by <laughs> talking. I can't say it <laughs> in a coherent way. Uh, I don't know. It seems to fit in some way, even though it's not a moon. Or a dark side. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess my take on it is at the time, because of the, the space race in 1969, man lands on the moon, moons and dark sides of the moons and all that kind of stuff was pretty commonplace. Things that people thought about, the dark, the cold, the unknown. Um, and I think that maybe that light cutting through that darkness on the album covers in some way like that this album shines light on the cycle of life and and all the deep messages within so that's all i have to say about that okay uh so um that is my nominee for the the anhoff that's that's anhoff pink floyd's dark side of <laughs> anhoff sorry <laughs> Sounds like something I do in the shower. Oh, no. um, <laughs> my God. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I was, yeah. oh, oh, in the picture there. Thanks. To- yeah, there's no. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, God. So that's uh, Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. That's how we're going to remember that record. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, us. This is Friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey, Album Nerds fans. You need something to do in the shower? Hey, why don't you join the Album Nerds Discord? <laughs> yeah. Just don't get shocked. It'll keep, you, keep your hands busy while you're, while you're getting clean. Uh, if you're looking for fellowship on music appreciation, just go uh, check out what we're doing on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. It's a great community of like-minded album nerds who are, you know, just looking to have a good time. And make sure and get in your Ainhoff votes. <laughs> yes, that is also the place where you can <laughs> vote on these records we're talking about today. Uh, as well as talk about, you know, topics for upcoming shows and you can suggest things, you know, records for us to listen to as well as, you know, movies and TV shows you're watching and whatever, what else is going on in your life. It's a place for it on the Album Nerds Discord. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. My pick. (laughs) (laughs) So we're getting off of the British dudes changing the face of music, and we're getting to some, some red dirt with Willie Nelson. 
Redheaded Stranger, May of 1975. So a little country music. We've talked about this on episode 50 of the Album Nerds podcast. I highly recommend you don't listen to that because <laughs> we, we've improved our presentation, let's say, in the five years that have followed. So why don't we jump in with uh, Time of the Preacher. Time of the Preacher When the story began Of the choice of a lady All right, so that was Time of the Preacher. That's the first track on the album. This is a concept album. It tells the story of a, of a man named the Red headed stranger uh it starts off he's a preacher he marries a woman she breaks his heart and has an affair he um tries to forgive her and can't uh, so my three my three words to describe this are kind of going to set the the tone for you murder love redemption so we kind of we kind of know where this is going gentlemen uh familiarity i know andy i made you listen to this years ago and you loved it because I have good taste. Don, why don't you start? What'd you think? I love it. I've, I've always liked Willie Nelson, but I've, you know, I've never taken the time to, to, to go into his catalog. And yeah, I mean, I think this is a perfect place to, to start. You know, I love concept albums. I, I mean, I, I really can't think of a bad thing to, to say about this, uh, about this, this record. And I mean, the other sort of, if you want to put Willie Nelson in that like outlaw country uh, realm, I mean, the other artist I think of and the one I'm more familiar with is is Johnny Cash. I mean, they obviously share a lot of similarities, but I, I think I appreciate the differences between them. Um, you know, Johnny Cash just has sort of a, a harder persona, I think. Willie Nelson kind of has like a brittle sound to his voice. Um, in some ways, he, he just sounds like somebody that's been kind of weathered by by life and um, but there seems there's like wisdom in his voice or something, you know, I might just be making that up in my, my head, but I, you know, it, I feel like he's a wise old man, you know, telling me stories of the, the prairie or wherever. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, the thing I fixated most on this time re-listening to this record was, uh, was his voice actually and, and how unique it, it is. I mean, you still can recognize it nowadays, but I think when he's younger, it's a little bit more prevalent. It's not the strongest singing voice in the world, but you get so much emotion out of it. And I feel like he's in really great control of it on this record, especially. Yeah. I mean, besides the storytelling, I think he really gives a, a really great vocal performance on this record, which you know, the record's pretty minimal in terms of instrumentation. So it, it needs it to, to keep moving, but he totally delivers it. It really is the, it's the antithesis of the other two albums. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's his simple stripped down guitar, harmonica, little piano. It's his 18th studio album. And this is really when he started to truly break through. Uh, he just released his 72nd album. Wow. This, this That's one. amazing, man. On his 89th birthday. It's called uh, A Beautiful Time, if you want to check that out. He had done, in the 50s, he was kind of your traditional country. You know, Nashville was very buttoned up. You had to have a lot of uh, a very specific sound. And so he he tried that, and then he got a deal with Atlantic, and he made two records with them. They were doing the, a country division, uh, one of which was a concept album about divorce, where the first half was from the wife's perspective, and the second half was from the husband's perspective. It's called Phases and Stages in 1974. So uh, when he got an opportunity to record another album, there was this song 
a redheaded stranger that had been around since the 50s. And it was basically just a cowboy story about this cowboy who was riding a black horse, rode into town, talks to a young lady. She tries to touch the horse that he has behind, which was his wife's horse. And he shoots the shoots the girl. And and the whole moral of the story is, for because cowboy stuff was really big in the 50s, was you don't try and steal a man's horse. And so he didn't get in any trouble. So that song was was the the basis of of this so then he built a story around it wrote time of the preacher so okay this guy was a preacher and he got wronged by his wife and then in blue rock montana redheaded stranger medley we're going to listen to a little bit of this is when he confronts uh his wife and her lover at a saloon and they smiled at each other when he walked through the door And they die with their smiles on their faces. So this is the moment where he catches them and, and shoots them both. <laughs> Which it's just so you, you gotta you gotta put yourself in the cowboy movie state of mind for this. So he has these vignettes throughout where he uses these themes over and over again. There's the redheaded stranger, parts of that make it in, parts of Time of the Preacher make it in to various, you know, there's there's little vignettes throughout. Moving to the second half of the album where, so he's become this outlaw, he's miserable, all he has is regret and his memories of his, of his dead wife. And then we move on, he moves, he decides to move from Wyoming to Denver. And so I'm going to play a little clip from Denver. And they smiled at each other as he walked through the door. And they danced with their smiles on their faces. So in Denver... The redheaded stranger meets this woman as he walks into his saloon. They lock eyes and smile at each other. And then he uses that same bit. But this time they, dan- they dance with the smiles on their faces. And that sets the tone for the, the rest of the album where there are moments of, of doubt and forgiving himself and spending time with this woman. And, and uh, so the story continues where basically at the very end, we have the track Hands on the Wheel which is a scene in the future where he's he's writing um, with his grandson and looking back on now what has been a happy life with this this other woman. I think that's what I said last time I reviewed it, but if I, if I didn't, I should have, because I can totally picture this playing out. It almost looks like a Coen Brothers movie in my head, where there's like this redemption arc going on with this guy, but he's also stuck in this loop where he's kind of this self-destructive loop. He's trying to uh, take the hands, you know, put take the take the wheel of fate, you know, get control of his own destiny and break through out of this, this cycle he's in. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's so cinematic. You said there actually was a, a movie made of this later on? They had to add more to it. But yeah, there is a movie. It's okay. I, I say stick with the album. And one of the main reasons that you should listen to it is it's 35 minutes or so. So you can enjoy <laughs> this whole story in yeah. your head real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that that more country Western in the seventies wasn't produced in, in this manner. Cause they, they always, you know, just overdid it with the, the strings and, um, you know, just this grandiose, uh, production, which seems, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, to me, you know, to, to treat country music in, in that way. Well, it opened the doors for this sound, that outlaw country sound. He was you know, among the, the people that pioneered that and did make, you know, your, uh, your other older artists like Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and those that had success in the 60s, but then had this new this new lease on life and, and were able to embrace that sound. And uh, Yeah, I mean, so the reason I brought this is just because it's innovative, it's 
so creative and I, I even like the fact normally I'm like, oh, you got to write all your own, own songs, but I love taking these traditional country songs and then weaving it into your story. It's really well done. It's probably one of my very favorite country albums. All right. So that's my nomination. Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger. It's short. It's sweet. If you can uh, stomach a little jealous rage, then uh, enjoy. <laughs> It's voting time, gentlemen. That's right. Cast your ballots. You can uh, vote along with us on the Elbners Discord, elbners.com slash Discord. Um, but yeah, basically, we're just going to go around the table and vote on whether or not we think these three records should make it into the the Anhoff. 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 Gosh. You put a little accent over that. <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced Anhoff. <laughs> Okay, so let's start with, out with OK Computer, Radiohead. Obviously, I think it should go in because I nominated it. Yeah, like like I said, my my only reluctance is like for me, I don't think it's their their best album. You know, if I wanted to tell somebody the story of Radiohead, I, maybe I, I would start there. I, I think it it holds up to you know the the test of time. Um, it's it's a, an album I'll revisit in the future. So uh, I'll vote yes. A lot of fun, sir, but okay. <laughs> For personal taste, it it's not something I'm, I'm going to listen to regularly. It never has been. It's too long. For me, but because of its impact, its influence, and the way that this album and this band helped to shape the sound of popular music and to take risks, I'm gonna say yes. Wow! Oh, really? See, I thought you were. I was penciling you in for a no. Interesting. Okay. I recognize its importance, so for that reason, I I, I can't, in good conscience, say no. Cool. Oh, all right. All right. So they're well, sorry. <laughs> You let me down again. I was hoping for a good uh, I know. vote off here with the audience, but that's cool. If the audience wants to save me, because I mm-hmm. had to do the right thing, you don't have to do the right thing. You can go say, no, 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 and we can get rid of this thing. <laughs> and then it's not my fault. All right. So. <laughs> okay. So, uh, The Dark Side of the Moon. Obviously, I, I say yes. Uh, could very easily be my favorite album of all time. I guess that's a yes for that. Yeah, I... I Obviously, it's a shoo-in for me. Uh, it's not a loved album by me, but it is certainly a respected one and one I listen to with some regularity. But I, you know, I don't melt every time I hear it like Donald does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the redheaded stranger. I'm going to say yes, of course. Yeah, I can't say no to this record. It's too good. It's too good. I. Yeah. It's it's an Einhoff. No. Yes, it's a yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all three of these albums we chose in some way shaped their genres or opened the doors for other artists like Pink Floyd opened the doors for other progressive bands to get an audience. So, very cool. Yeah. All right, so that's three yeses. Duh. <laughs> we'll try and be a little more controversial next time. <laughs> Oh, I think we got to build the foundation here, boys. And yeah. I think these these records, combined with the Wonder record we already have, I think will lay a pretty solid foundation for the Hall of Fame here. So I think we're in a good place. Hit us up on Discord and give us your vote. We'll put a little special channel for this so you can tell us what you think. All right, let's let's check in on the uh, the dude here in the wheel workshop and see how the uh, the wheel here is. It ready for like a an alpha spin, perhaps? Uh, whip whip it out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 
Save it for the shower, buddy. <laughs> yes, while you guys were blathering on about your albums, I did completely recreate an electronic version of the wheel of musical destiny. And the sound, the spinning sound is going to be the exact same. I was able to replicate it perfectly. Amazing. Amazing technology you have there. So it's time. Let's do it. I'm your density. Rock opera. A rock opera is a collection of rock music songs with lyrics that relate to a common story, typically released as concept albums and are not scripted for acting, which distinguishes them from operas, although several have been adapted as rock musicals. Tommy's the who, who's the Tommy, Mm -hmm. you know. The Who's Tommy? <laughs> yeah. The, the to- <laughs> Tommy. <What is> go- <laughs> Dude has gone full dark side of the moon on us, I think. Yeah. All right. I got it all messed up in my head. So a good example would be Tommy by The Who. So what do you think belongs in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame? Uh, what else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow Album Nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll check you next time with some rock opera recommendations. See ya. See ya on the dark side of the moon, folks. Wow. (laughs) That was bad.